Well, it's wonderful to see everyone. People are slowly, slowly arriving. Hello. So shall we begin by just meditating for a little while? Yeah, good idea. Okay. Maybe take a couple of deep breaths. It's kind of helpful to relax that way. Deep breaths engage the parasympathetic nervous system, which is relaxation. Keep your bath kind of straight. Alert. Open. And relaxed. And letting the thinking mind drop, drop down into the body, into the earth. Into the feet. Aware of the feet. The calves, aware of the legs, aware of the hips, the sensations in the hips. And the base of the spine, the base of the under the navel, the hara, and noticing the rising and falling of the breath. Belly, chest, where the back, the strong, stable back, 
aware of the shoulders where we carry a lot of tension. If you'd like, you could raise your shoulders and squeeze them a little bit and then relax them. And aware of the arms and hands. And the throat. And the head. Maybe picking out a place in your head where you particularly feel sensations. And noticing how they keep changing. And we could extend that to everything. The entire body. From microsecond to microsecond. It's changing. Being aware of sounds. There's no beginning or middle or end to a sound. When we pay attention, we notice that nothing that we are aware of is really graspable. We think we are a certain identity But where is that? And on a certain level, all day, all day long, our identities keep changing. We're like pieces, identity pieces. Husband, wife, mother, Gardener, friend, neighbor, if you're having a, whatever you're doing, 
shopper at a grocery store. The Buddha said there are seven forms of consciousness. The sense perceptions, eyes, ears, nose, taste, touch. The thinking mind that's putting this together. And the selfing mind, the me, me, me mind, that's so touchy and sensitive and tends to explode or feel sad. It's just one of those. And then there's another mind that isn't changing. That knows all those minds. That knows thoughts. Knows the reactivities knows the sound, knows the sensation, awareness. And a famous verse from the Tibetan Book of the Dead. The author wrote, This present mind that is unobstructed, alert, is the primordial Buddha, which means awareness, and yet it does not exist anywhere and is nowhere to be found. This vividness, this aliveness, alert, Vibrant, not stagnant, not dead, not unconscious. That potential energy 
is where you find awareness. That is awareness. Awareness has no boundaries like space. It includes everything. It it includes our reactivities. But it's not reactive. It's sublime. It's peaceful. We may be contracting in fear or sadness or anger or grasping, wanting, but Awareness doesn't. It just knows that. That's why it's called the refuge. This is worth devoting our life to. Maybe for you. It's what is true. So let's just relax and be natural. Be simple. There's an analogy where a bird will fly far away from its nest looking for food or whatever. And it always comes back to its nest. It always comes home. This could be our abiding intention to come home to who we truly are, 
this accommodating, generous, Awareness, this is our wonderful nature that is innately accommodating, kind, doesn't reject anything, isn't in conflict with anything, doesn't hold on to anything. It's always here, waiting for us. All we need to do is notice it. Just turn our focus around 90 degrees. I may have told you this before, but there's this analogy about our mind chasing after thoughts. Like a you throw a stick to a dog and they'll chase after that stick. But if you throw a stick at a lion, he'll turn around and face you. And then you don't throw any more sticks. Just relax into the lion's gentle gaze, open. As we meditate, we become more attuned to this mind, not the other eight, this mind of awareness. And we meditators have this unique problem, we lose our mindfulness. Nobody else complains that they lost their mindfulness than us meditators because we miss it. And after a while, our awareness misses us. It kind of follows us around like a like a dog, a puppy. Easier and easier to pick up and 
return. Okay, thank you. So this chapter that we just read, it has two parts. The first part is about intention. And and the whole book up to this point has been about developing our intention. Which is the grace in aging, how aging, through aging, we develop this intention to awaken she went through, you know, the chaos, the suffering, and then, and then the surrender. To awareness, the surrender to awakening. Simple awakening. It's so easy. I mean, you're all awake, right? You're all conscious. You're not dead right now. You're awake. And then the rest of the book, including this chapter, are about conditions that are conducive to awakening, that help us, keep us, make it easier for us to abide in awakening. So there are two minds. There's the absolute mind of awareness that's always here. That's our inner nature. That's who you are. You are Buddha. All we have to do is notice that. And then there's the relative mind, those other minds that I mentioned. And these conditions are all about the relative mind. Or maybe developing a wholesome sense of self rather than an unwholesome sense of self that's grasping and clinging and, and, and averting from things and ignorant in the sleep of ignorance. A wholesome mind that'll incline us toward awareness. So um, intention will incline us toward a wholesome mind. 
an ethical mind. And an ethical mind will incline us toward opening, toward kindness, toward love, toward generosity, toward patience. toward diligence, toward joy. And we want this more and more. And it feeds on itself. One ethical act feeds our freedom and the freedom feels good and we don't want to say a bad thing about somebody because it feels so contradictory so um We'll divide into some small groups now and maybe uh, begin by checking in and then following that by uh, if there are passages that you brought to the, to the group, maybe you could read the passages and we could discuss what you found inspiring. And then after that, if you would like to... Uh, discuss some of the prompts that I provided or that your group leader will, will provide. That should give us a lot of wonderful things to share and talk about. I've been thinking about this, the, about why we're here, the, the refuge of Sangha, how this benefits us. And it's, it's just so wonderful to really share our journey with each other. I mean, we're all on this path. And we're not alone. So to share our journey with others and have them and be heard, be affirmed, and to listen to others' journey is a unique support of Sangha. Okay, so um, can divide into groups now. Um, maybe groups of four or five. Joe, does that seem okay? Well, with five facilitators, we're looking at five to six. So we had six facilitators, including you. <laughs> Be there in a second. Well, if your group doesn't have a facilitator, just please just go ahead and facilitate. Find some, you know, have somebody in your group. Okay. Um, so I need yeah. to. I need to recompute them. Um, so let, give me a second. Okay. 
So four to five? Yeah. Yeah, and if you find yourself without a facilitator, just select one of you just to kind of keep things on track with questions and everything. Well, that, uh, can you hear me? Yeah, yeah. Well, that went way too fast. Um, I think our group could have spent the entire hour, you know, and um, so, um, but we will return <laughs> later and, and with the same groups. Um, so, yeah, what, what was said in your group? Maybe people who are leading could give a little, just a brief synopsis of some, some juicy, the juicy, the juicy pieces. <laughs> Jump in. There is never any way to summarize, as you all know, you know, it's a rich, intense, short time. But I just jotted some of the, the themes that we touched on. Um, two of our folks were very appreciative of the insight meditation tradition because they've practiced in other traditions and they were finding the tools through Gil's uh, guidance and the teachers of the Sangha um, to be very helpful. And some of the other themes were um, touching on the idea of the fictitious self from the chapter, f- freedom from the fictitious self and the letting go that was talked about in the chapter and the power of gratitude as well as um, appreciating Sangha to share all this with. Thank you. From our group, uh, there's never enough time uh, to talk about intention, but we almost got around to everyone. And some of the, um, some of the themes for intention um, really started with gratitude um, and a little bit going into ethics, um, doing the right thing. Um, also, being in the moment, being present, being aware, um, and, and also connected to others, knowing that others are also out there you know, um, searching for hope and happiness and joy. Um, and, uh, you know, the, it didn't really make any difference whether um, in our group, whether we had been practicing a long time or, or just a relatively short time. Um, it, it was a very rich in sharing um, what intention means to each of us. Thank you. Thank you. Our uh, our group um, sort of jumped right into just how much everyone appreciated this particular chapter. Um, it was so um, inspiring in so many ways. Uh, one person had talked about this sense of uh, spaciousness as opposed, you know, the contraction around self and the spaciousness that can uh, envelop our life and, and how we engage. Um, and uh, 
looking at that positive side of, of all the, the, you know, the ethical um, part of the chapters, talking about the positive side, not just the prohibitory, um, but, you know, just the beauty in this life, you know, and, and honoring this and being present in each moment. And uh, it was uh, just a beautiful sort of self-affirmation and, and how in the balance, you know, having intention, but balancing it between, you know, this, when she was talking about being on retreat or being in life, being inward and looking at life and holding it all and finding a balance and just the encouragement you know, with this time that we have and being so uh, appreciative of her voice and her encouragement and how rich uh, this long list of looking at what one wants to look at in the end life, these times and uh, going forward. So anyway, it was, it was wonderful sharing, very deep, very wonderful. So thank you. I forgot that I'd be doing this. Um, One one member of our group is going through through, um, end-of-life process. That's the way I could put it. And um, I hope I put that well. And uh, we got around to passages in the book. And uh, for her, the sentence that struck her was, in 88, perhaps the simplest guideline, as simply elegant as Einstein's E equals MC squared, is Jesus' suggestion that we love one another. And so um, that's her intention to, to, to stage us with that um, as things unfold. Um, <clears throat> for someone else, the passage was mindful awareness recognizes that there are options. And this this is in contradistinction to above there on 78. Uh, without mindfulness, the direction of these, well, everything we see is a reflection of our own mind with its deep karmic imprints, everything. And without mindfulness, this is just all a swirl that drives us uh, to paraphrase the rest. And so she liked the counterpoint, which is mindful awareness recognizes that there are options. Our options, every nanosecond's experience can be guided with intention, aligned with intention, taking the present trajectory of arisings and setting it on a new path. So, um, so that, that struck me. So that's what I have. Reminds me of that Shakespeare passage. Uh, without awareness, it's just a tale told by idiots, <laughs> full of sound and fury and signifying nothing. So, yeah, this makes it significant. So we talked about um, 
someone mentioned she she appreciated the sense of coming home in practice, in the guided and in practice. And, and she was quite moved, quite moved by that coming home. So we discussed what coming home meant to different people. Coming home in the body, coming home in the energy, coming home to just knowing, simply knowing. And um, someone was very moved about how harmful her uh, untamed speech can be. You know, gossipy, malicious, hurtful, vengeful, and very grateful to be shining a light on that and the freedom that restraining from that can bring. So that's about all all of this coming immediately to mind. We had a wonderful discussion and can't wait to get back. Yeah. You could do this chapter again. It's so potent, isn't it? Yeah. It's such a potent chapter. So let's take a 10-minute break and come back at 10 after. How's that? Just settle in for a few minutes in our seat from our little break and just arrive back in our, our own room and our sangha space here on Zoom. Just let's be. Take some relaxing deep breaths and sense the body just being in its seat. Present. Again, simply just being aware of um, simple body sensations and the breath letting us know we're alive and we're just here. Present and aware. I think I've shared this multiple times in the group. This uh, little quote on a gravestone. Uh, The nature of being is awareness. Simply remain still and be as you are. That is all. It seems very much following on David's, you know, just to relax, relax into this ever-present awareness. No big deal, just here.
So the Kathleen, she you had these two sections in this chapter, both, you know, looking at and cultivating a wholesome intention and the foundation was also looking at cultivating and seeing the the benefits of ethical behavior in our life and how that was a protection for us, for our practice, for moving into more freedom in an encouraging way, in a really positive way. And it reminded me, it was, I loved reading this over again. And uh, I wanted to share this. I got this um, calligraphy uh, many, many years ago. Um, A local calligrapher in my area. um, She was a student of Kobenchino Sensei. And uh, he had actually been my first introduction to Buddhism back in the late 60s. Um, And then I came across this calligraphy and and, uh, Copen had taken these, uh, the moral precepts uh, and called the tenfold prohibitory precepts and restated them with the clear mind precepts and I thought I would share those just because I remember thinking oh this is so encouraging um, so encouraging so I'll read the more traditional thou sh- you know thou shalt not <laughs> and then Copen's uh, restating this in a positive way So the tenfold prohibitory precepts and then the clear mind precepts. No killing life. Cultivating and encouraging life. No stealing. Honoring the gift not yet given. No attachment to fulfillment. Remaining faithful in relationships. No illusory words. Communicating truth. No selling the wine of delusion. (laughs) Polishing clarity, dispelling delusion. No dwelling on past mistakes. Creating wisdom from ignorance. No praising yourself or blaming others. Maintaining modesty and extolling others. No hoarding teachings or materials. 
sharing, understanding, freely giving of self. No being angry. Dwelling in equanimity. No abusing the three treasures. Respecting the Buddha. Unfolding the Dharma. Nourishing the Sangha. It's a slightly different list. It's in the Mahayana tradition. But it covers pretty much the whole range of our thoughts and activities that can be skillful or unskillful. I'm going to read just the clear mind precepts one more time. With this intention to cultivate clear mind precepts. Cultivating an encouraging life. Honoring the gift not yet given. Remaining faithful in relationships. Communicating truth. Polishing clarity. Dispelling delusion. Creating wisdom from ignorance. Maintaining modesty, extolling others. Sharing, understanding, freely giving of self. Dwelling in equanimity. Respecting the Buddha, unfolding the Dharma, nourishing the Sangha. I remember the first time I came across the little phrase, the bliss of blamelessness. And, um, and seeing over the years in just the difference in the actual feeling in the body. And maybe we can, in our groups, maybe reflect on how it feels when we act with our highest intention. And, and how it feels when, when we don't. The difference between, for me, <laughs> swatting a mosquito or not. There, there is something in the body that actually happens. I, and I can see the difference and actually feel in the body the difference between, in this very tiny way, taking life or not taking life. And how that is a support or can be a support. Um, and, and maybe looking at how we experience our actions and how it lands in our hearts when we act uh, and how it supports our practice. 
and eases the mind when we can act from a, what Kathleen Dowling Singh talks about as this moral compass. You know, this is actually a support for our awakening, a support for our practice. How does that actually manifest in our own experience? So that's how does it feel internally as opposed to a list from the outside that we have to mark off and keep account of? Um, and I think she, the author really encourages this, you know, how is this really felt inside? And I did mention in a small group of every three years, I think Gil teaches this class called uh, The Equivalence of Ethics and Enlightenment. And, um, you know, sort of bringing it right up there, how we act, how we think, how we speak, all of this affects uh, this awakening journey. Anyway, um, I think we can go into groups and just continue this discussion on um, how, how the chapter, how the author's words have landed. Um, how it feels to have this list of, you know, what encourages awakening in our ethical life. And then at the very end of this chapter, uh, Kathleen also talks about these steps in moving in transition for death, but here we can enter into this now, having this basis of our intention for awakening and our intention to maybe act in a wholesome ways, um, which we'll be exploring as the book goes on. But um, it's an inspiring, but also uh, a long list of, you know, these stages of liberation, you know, silence, uh, forgiveness, love, long list anyway. I think the groups were having a, a wonderful time going in depth, so I think it's just time that we can go back and share more of what we've gotten from these words and our sharing together in these small little sangha groups. So, Joe, if we could go back and for maybe for 25 minutes, and then we can come back at 10 to 1. So, welcome back and uh, we certainly had a, a wonderful uh, sharing and um, David do we have a little time to share or sh yeah if, if anyone feels inspired to just this was such a deep uh, in our, our group a deep uh, sharing of uh, so uh, if anyone uh, can raise your hand and or just unmute and please share I am. Um, David asked, uh, uh, "What does home feel like?" We were discussing home, and um, at one point, and um, I just realized uh, as you were just speaking that um, I feel at home. That, that that this is what it feels like. Thank you. Thank you. 
Well, if we're all very quiet and filled with Dharma, <laughs> I uh, might just share this last few minutes. Um, I loved, <laughs> really appreciate the chapter, but this what really caught my eye at the very end. She talks about, you know, taking this opportunity of um, making our life a retreat, these aging times as a retreat. Um, <laughs> you don't mind me reading. I just think here we are, you know. Um, We now, in these last chapters of our life, have the time and the humility and the life wisdom to appreciate the preciousness of this fleeting experience. Stepping over the threshold of attachment to self, stepping out of self and beyond self, our awareness is filled with grace, is graced with the true and the good and the beautiful, all always already ever present. The special conditions of transformation are skillful means by which we can organize our life around our intention. We act with both wisdom and self-compassion when we choose to use these later years as a retreat and dedicate them as such. We don't need to go to a cave or a monastery. We don't need an isolated hut in the woods. We just need a commitment to awaken. We need the wise gathering of the special conditions that will facilitate awakening. We need earnest and steadfast practice. The retreat doesn't need a place. It needs an intention. It is a mental space. Intention is our enclosure. It is an enclosure that expands to include everything. These retreat boundaries may tighten at times and open at times. Visits with friends and family travel or the generous actions of social involvement may at times be exactly where we need to be. And at other times, more solitude may be appropriate. The cycle of solitude and engagement is like breathing. It always moves between in and out. The retreat doesn't need a place. It needs an intention. So let's just sit quietly for a few moments.
may the gift of our shared wisdom, our shared open hearts and presence here be a blessing in our lives going forward, be a blessing to all those we meet, be a blessing as we travel this journey in our aging. So peace to you all, blessings, and thank you. Thank you. Thank you, David. Thank you, Thank you, everybody. Thank you, everyone. Wonderful. Thank, Thank you. you.